Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor, where those who think outside the box can create unique football bets from a combination of markets. Create your best bet with the innovative BetVictor Bet Builder. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Hi, my name is Jonna, and I play football for Chelsea FC and for the Swedish national team. And you are listening to the Blue Day podcast. Welcome back, my friends, to the podcast that never ends. This is the Blue Day podcast, and for Chelsea fans everywhere, every day is a blue day. I am your host, the creator, the man with a face for podcasting, Keith Lawrence, and joining me this week is a guy who bleeds Chelsea, who loves Chelsea, and would certainly teach Jorginho a thing or two about defending. It's Steve Wicks. Steve, how are we? We're all right, mate. All right. Not too bad. A little bit... uh... I'm still trying to get over the weekend. Talk about uh, Inner Vartis. I was just about to get used to the Emmerdale Cup. I was just about to get used to sort of, you know, watching the boys play on Thursday nights, having to put all my schedules all out of tune. But no, Tottenham did us a favour. Who would have funked it? Who would have thought that? Tottenham did us a favour. I know. I bet they got it afterwards. Well, again, I mean, there's Tottenham fans that I've spoken to that were like, why have we helped Chelsea out for? We we, we, we should have had Leicester to win. We've got nothing yeah. to play for. Why why have we allowed you know, why have we allowed Chelsea to be in the Champions League? We're we're not we're not interested in that. But yeah. yeah. I'll tell you what, mate, it would have been interesting to see if the Super League, the so called Super League, could have brought <laughs> the uh, excitement of that weekend. Oh, I don't, I don't think so. Well, but, uh, it, that would have been interesting considering the six clubs that wanted to go in the Super League, three of them not in the elite European competition. Yeah. Absolutely. That would living have been in interesting. Living in the past, a lot of those clubs. Yes. Well, hopefully, again, Chelsea have made certain decisions this season. Of course, they've made... Yeah, a lot of bonkers decisions over the years, but hopefully we're not going to get to a point where we're stagnating, that we still need to improve and go forward. And I think that this season has certainly proved that we can't stand still, bearing in mind how City have been this season and how Liverpool were last season. We still need to improve. And 
whether or not, and we hopefully we will talk about it more in detail, but whether or not getting fourth place papers over the cracks a little bit, bearing in mind this team does need improvement. I think there are still a lot of weaknesses in in the setup. I think there's still some areas that need to be improved. And again, Man City are the benchmark. We have to get close to that if we want to win the league again. So it's important that, again, depending what happens on Saturday, win, lose the trophy. We have to recruit well in the summer and we have to as you know as we discussed of on the phone yesterday Steve get rid of the deadwood get rid of the ones that we've probably given so many chances to that are not good enough so it's just simple as they're not good enough it's not a case of they can't fit into a system or their families abroad and they're missing them if they're not good enough just get rid of them yeah I agree it, it will be interesting, but we'll start off obviously reviewing the, the Premier League campaign as it's finally finished. It seems like this campaign's gone on forever, you know, absolutely forever. We started, if you remember, obviously Frank Lampard was in charge. There was a lot of hype going into this season that we spent over £200 million on signings like Ben Chilwell, Timo Werner, Kai Havertz, and we, you know, we was. Br- Bleeding in the youngsters like Mount and James. Steve, just to sort of start off this sort of topic of conversations in regards to this campaign, what were your thoughts going into th- this season, sort of looking back, bearing in mind the amount of money that we've spent and the youngsters that, that was coming through the ranks at Chelsea? Well, I, I, I thought Frank did ever so well to get us into the Champions League last year, considering he didn't have any... Uh, any windows to deal in. Um, and then we sat, I saw Havertz play in the European Cup, I think, last year, and he looked a hell of a player. Zilic, uh, or Zilic, he, to me, isn't ready, you know, for the... It, it seems to me the best signing was Chilwell. And I think that's because he knows about the, the, the Premier League. He's played in it all his life. So he fitted in well, and he's a very, very super player. But the other three players, I think, have found it really hard to get up to tune with the Premier League. And it might be hard for them because they're playing three games a, a week, and it's never ending. And maybe you know, it, I don't think it's helped them. But I think that we brought inexperienced younger players that it sounds great to build, but unfortunately, you haven't got the time to do that now. You can't look and say, oh, in two years' time, three years' time. Otherwise, you're out the front door. You're out the back door after about six six bad results. Look what so, happened to uh, Frank. Yeah, you know, and I, I think that in hindsight, in hindsight, maybe we should have gone for a slightly more experienced player. Interesting. When you when you look at that and when you look at also the players that were available in the summer, that, again, depending on who was the person behind the deals, you know, yes, Frank was the coach, but was he the one that wanted Timo Werner? Was he the one that wanted Havertz? And probably if you look at 
how many times Havertz was perhaps used under Frank while Frank was there. So, you know, cer- certain questions w- were asked at the time. And, you know, I remember when there was a point where Timo Werner was dropped under Frank and there was, you know, rumours going about that old Timo was a club signing. Well, we need to put put it into perspective that Chelsea, throughout the times Roman has been in charge, has always made club signings. If you look at the yeah. likes of Shevchenko, all the way back to 2006, yeah. the likes of Shevchenko, Torres, you know, the ones that are sort of immediately on the, on the top of my head. So, yes, Frank was obviously the one in, in charge of team affairs, but when it comes to the likes of Havertz, and again, you know, they're spending a lot of money on these players and they're not you know, spending it to invest. They want their investments back. And when you see, you know, two lots of 70 million pound players on the bench, somebody with a business head on that's in a director's box is looking at that's probably the situation with Chelsea not getting the results, thinking we've just spent nigh on 150 million plus on these players and they're not playing. So you have to look at it from the business side as well as the football side as well when it comes to these particular players. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree, Keith. I agree, you know. But, uh, you know, I think a manager should, should sink or swim by the signings he makes. I think it's, football's got a look, uh, well, you know, I, I would have always said, you know, a manager had the last say. Well, the first team coaches it is now, had the last say. And I think that surely someone from Chelsea would have gone to Frank and said, are you happy with these players? You, you, you know, I'm sure that that would have happened. Uh, and I'm sure Frank was, he looked at that and Werner had a great season. And as I said, uh, you know, Havertz, he was brilliant against us in the Champions League. You know, so he would have been happy with that. It's just, to me, um, it's the other little things that have gone on that, you know, we, we've, we've played uh, with Tuchel, Tuchel, um, and, we play a brand of football which I'm still not sure about. I'm still not sure the... I think tactically is very good. Tact, tactically, as I said, against Man City, he got it spot on. I hope he gets it right on Saturday. But he got it spot on. But that's when we're up against teams that we've got to play a certain way in order to win the game. What concerns me is when we've got a team that we should beat and beat well... We've done that once this season, and that's Crystal Palace, where the fans could say, oh, that's great. We've won that game. We can enjoy it. And I just wonder, you know, on uh, Sunday, Chilwell had more shots at goal than any of, any of our forward line. And you're looking at it and you say, well, you know, we've got no edge to our attacking play at the moment at all. You know, and I, I find it a little bit disconcerting that, mind you, having said that, a good thing about it is Werner could lead Germany in the uh, in the Euros, and we might come up against Germany. And you know, you watch your score a couple of goals, then you, it's the it's he won't the, be offside. He he no. will know what the line will be. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, there's two reasons why someone gets caught offside all the time. One is they're lazy, and the other one is. 
they aren't bright enough to look at the, especially with his pace. You know, if I was slow, you might want to nick a yard. But he can give players two yards. So there's no need for him to... to oh, but uh, yeah, it is frustrating. It is frustrating. But, uh, you know, as I said to you before, Keith, I saw the most one-sided European Cup final. It was, it was Man United versus Bayern Munich. And Bayern Munich for 87 minutes of the game, totally dominating. Should have been four up against Man United. And... Uh, and Man United won two one, so you never know in cup finals. And never know, you never know. You know. We will we will talk about the Champions League final later. And in regards to, you know, when we were talking about with the Premier League season, one game that springs to mind for me that things weren't rosy in in the Garden of Chelsea was West Brom away. And Steve, I'm not sure if you sort of remember it. It was one of the earlier games of the season. West Brom recently came up. For me, they had players that didn't have the great experience of Premier League football. And I saw them as a championship team. We were 3-0 down against them quite early on in the game. And Mount got a goal that sort of dragged us back into the game and sort of gave us that belief. And then, you know, 90 plus minutes, Tammy who we will probably talk about later on, got the all-important equaliser. And that game for me sort of showed that there were frailties in the team. And again, it all, all wasn't well because Rudiger wasn't playing. And it was Thiago Silva's debut as well. And he made a mistake for their first goal. Let's so, go you know, it was a little bit rusty. When you sort of look at it from a, from a player's perspective and a coach's perspective, when you see... You know, Chelsea draw into West Brom 3 3. And even I can sort of go back to, you know, later in that season, you know, we drew with Southampton 3 3. We were, I believe, 2 0 up in that game as well. Drag, yeah. They dragged it back to 2 2. We then got to 3 2. I think Ben Chilwell, ben, ben Chilwell, excuse me, scored in that game. And then they scored a 90th minute equaliser. With results like that, do you believe at that point? something wasn't right at Chelsea because Frank really did need to get it spot on, bearing in mind the money, as we sort of discussed earlier, invested yeah. in, in the squad. Yeah, I think I think defensively at that time, there were questions that had to be asked. Um, you know, goals were flying in left, right and centre. Um, and then I think he got it right. I think we drew 0-0 at Man United. Was that after that game or before that game? No, that was after. That was after. That was after. Yeah, 2-0 at Manchester and went on a good defensive run in terms of conceding goals. Um, no, I, I think if you're, if you're bringing in uh, three players that, that you know there's been major investment and you know the chairman will be looking at his investment and wanting them to play, people are going to pick fault in you on... And, that's where you've just got to be strong and believe it in what you do. And I, Frank, I think Frank did that. Um, but it, it's been it's been an odd season in the fact that we've probably had three three uh, examples of Chelsea. We've had the one where we started off like a uh, house on fire. There was the one where we stuttered and we came back to draw three three, or as you say, at West Brom. Then conceded another three goals against Southampton. Um, and there's the Chelsea that's here and now that really I still don't quite know what their style is. 
I don't know whether we play, we're playing counter-attacking football. I don't know whether, you know, but all I do know is that we're creating chances and we're just not taking them. We're just not killing games off. And good teams are ruthless. Good teams do that. And we're not doing that at the moment. Yeah, Man City will do that. Man City will get you around the throat and they will squeeze and squeeze and squeeze and squeeze. Uh, and probably 5-0 to them. That's it. We've, we've won the game. Everything's we've played well. Yeah, that their standards are, are high. Also, when you look at Man City, he's building a jigsaw puzzle and he's putting in parts of the jigsaw puzzle that are affecting the team now. You know, Diaz, for example, was a fantastic signing mm. you know, for Man City. Yes. Um, yes. And he's made such an impression now. He's not looking, oh, it's going to take him a year to settle in or it's going to take him, a, you know, you know, they're only young. No, it's about here and now. It's about here and now. Uh, and I think that's what football is. And it's that ruthless that you're going to be judged on six bad results. As Frank was, really. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, but you ask yourself the question. It'll be interesting to, to, to see, you know, Tushil with a couple of his own signings in. So, and having time to rebuild the squad. And it needs rebuilding now. You know, we've had people that have been great servants to us, but now you've got to be a bit ruthless and say, right, we're building a squad here for the next two or three years. They've got to go. And it's it's interesting when you mention that because... I remember at that time we was on a, a quite a lengthy run without defeats and we was actually playing some decent football. I remember there was one game in particular against Newcastle at St. James's Park in November. We played some some great stuff and normally we don't do well at Newcastle. We we you know, sometimes yeah. we we've had much better teams and we've come away with defeats, but we played really well against them and we were unbeaten in the month of October and November. And I remember against Leeds United, it was a Saturday evening game. We won the game 3-1. It was when um, it was the lockdown, the first lockdown was easing. And it was the first game where 2,000 supporters were able to go. Mm. Which was, you know, again, quite sort of a privilege for those supporters to be there. We, we won the game. We were top yeah. at that point. Yeah albeit for 24 hours, but you can see the improvement from what we were doing under Frank the first season to then now. And then we, Champions League, sort of midweek, and then we play against Everton on the 12th of December. And then we lost the game 1-0. And if I seem to remember, I think Mendy gave away a penalty. And I think it was Everton's only shot on target that game. And we were quite woeful at the other end. And, it was that point where I think the reality kicked in that perhaps we've got a tough job to perhaps stay in them sorts of areas. And with that result came the downfall for Frank because there was then some bad results, you know, losing to Wolves 2-1 when Wolves were struggling in, yeah. in, in this season and Wolves scored a last-minute winner. You had then the Boxing Day game against Arsenal. And again, Arsenal 
you just look at them this season. They've worst season in 25 years. They played us off the park that night on Boxing yeah. Day. And we were just absolutely woeful. We then drew to Aston Villa, who, again, weren't in a relegation scrap, but they were sort of, say, comfortable in mid-table. But again, we had a better squad. We then play at home to Manchester City and Stamford Bridge. They just out outplayed us from the first minute to 90. I think it was, it was a game when uh, De Bruyne had a fantastic game. Phil Foden was you know, really starting to kick on as a footballer. And it was that point where the season started to unravel. And you know, again, there was rumours of Frank's falling out with players and having issues with certain individuals in that squad and certain individuals going to certain people in the boardroom. Steve, you've been there as a, as a coach and as a player. When you get to that point when players are starting to talk about the managers going and perhaps the managers you know, stranglehold, so to speak, on the squad and for regards to discipline and more loyalty. When that goes, is there no going back or is, is there a potential whereby if the manager gets one or two results, something can change? Well, first of all, a manager needs his players. Um, and you can keep some of the players happy some of the time, but never all of the players happy all of the time. Um, and I don't think it's right. I'm a little bit old-fashioned on this. I think, you know, number one, they shouldn't be even entertained. If I had, uh, um, if I was the chairman of a football club and I had older players coming to me wanting to complain about the manager, I wouldn't even have a discussion with them. You shouldn't be entertained. Um, you know, I, I, I think the turning point in Frank's was the Man City game with De Bruyne where they looked different class to us. And it was then... What you could do, you could see that there was a gap opening. The, the gap between them and us wasn't getting smaller. It was getting bigger, the golf. And I think that that was the game. And again, it's so, to me, the whole crux of this is who signs the players? Who signed the players? I've always said to you, and I've always said on this podcast, is the fact that great coaches improve players. They improve players. Um, but having paying 70 million quid for a couple of players you shouldn't have to work that hard to improve them you know what I mean there should be a real good player in there somewhere um, but the players the players that we bought when they first came into the team didn't really show anything you couldn't look at them and say oh my god what a player he is he's going to be a fan He's going to influence this season for us. He's going to... Because to me, they brought boys. They brought young, inexperienced, really, players. And this is not a league you come in inexperienced thinking that you're going to win the, the, the Premier League. That isn't going to happen. That isn't going to happen. Um, and I think Frank was a victim of a lot of things. I think he was a victim of the senior players in the side that felt that he was playing the youngsters too much, you know, and they, they deserve in there more respect and should be played and 
you know, and it's easy to go in and see the chairman when the results haven't been that good. It's easy to see that. And I don't think, I think all in all, Tuchel came in. There was a, a, a lot of people unhappy about Frank going. A lot of Chelsea supporters were absolutely devastated that Frank went. Um, and he was lucky. He had a fantastic run of games, really, that, that um, I'm not saying he's lucky, but they were good games to be playing. The run of games that he had at the time, I remember thinking, God, dear me, he hasn't, he's, a, he's had a right result there because they're all games that we, we could win. And he won them. But to this day, I haven't, with the exception of Crystal Palace, I haven't really seen Chelsea dominate a game and look as if we're going to score... You know, in the good old days, every time we attacked, you thought, oh, we're going to score, eh? We're going to score. You know, and we play great football. But it's almost like we've gone back now to playing balls over the top, looking for Werner's pace, loading the box, as simple as that. That's Janet and John football. But it's worked for him. The way he set up the team against Man City, it, it was brilliant. But it's us being the inferior side and not allowing them to play. It was all built about not allowing them to play. Not so much how we're going to play. And what we relied on in that game was balls in behind. For Werner to get on and people to get on and to load the box and get the ball in. Um, so that's what concerns me a little bit. Um, and against Villa, I thought that in the second half, towards the end, at least we didn't go down in a puff of smoke. We went for it. We went for it and we had a real go with 10 men. We went for it and had a real go. And probably that last 20 minutes, that spell was as good a spell as we've had for a long time in terms of dominating a game. I don't yeah. know whether you agree, Keith, but I, you know, I, 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 I and I think that the cup fine, final on, on Saturday is tailor-made for the way we play. Tailor-made, because we can go back to that old thing where that game plan against City works. Everyone plays it against them because they've got to, because they're, you know, they are, they, they have the ball 75% of the game. Hmm. But uh, it'd be interesting to see what game plan he comes up with this time. Well, again, we've, Tuchel that came in, there was a lot of media hype out when he came in. Because he came in on the Tuesday, the next day Chelsea were at home to Wolves. We drew, we drew that game and he, and he dropped Mason Mount. He dropped Mason Mount for that game and there was a lot of perhaps overthinking it from Chelsea supporters. I, I do seem to remember certain people on Facebook and social media, other social media outlets saying that he's not going to play Mount. Mount's going to be one of the casualties of Tuchel's just going to want to bring in his own players. Well, Mount's just recently won Chelsea's Player of the Year, and rightfully so. He's been absolutely outstanding. With Mount winning that award and the fact that he's basically been... There's no debate about it. He's been Chelsea's best player. Can Mount kick on to the point where he needs more goals in his game? Is it a case where he needs to be more influential in games whereby he can take the game by the scruff of the neck and make it his own? 
where do you see Mount's progression in the next 12 months, Steve? Um, I think he's rightly got Chelsea's player of the year. I think the one thing about Mason, you'll get the same Mason Mount if Chelsea are having a good spell or a bad spell. He will go out there, he'll work his socks off, he'll give everything, he'll try and drag... The, he was the one at West Brom that dragged them back into the game. His performance in that game was absolutely superb for a youngster in those times. What you see is what you get with, uh, you know, with Mason. And I can't speak highly enough of him. And I, I do think that one day he'll be captain of Chelsea and I think he'll be captain of England as well. Interesting. I think that hmm. that's the type of boy he is. He's the sort of boy you want to have a, a, in your club. He sets examples. And you know what? It's like a lot of these youngsters in this country... If they don't show any fear at all. And Mason hasn't shown any... any I loved it when... Uh, uh, it was the guy at Man City kept trying to kick him and and uh, foul him and, and try and stamp on his face. And, Fernandinho, uh, I believe you're thinking of, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, one of the most best midfield players that have ever played in the Premier League, you know, doing what he's doing. And Mason, at times, made him look stupid went past him and the boy, the guys hammered him. You know, he made him look stupid. And to me, he's got to get used to that. He's got to get used to be kicking and, and trying to be intimidated because people, you know, will do that to him. But he took it all in his stride. He didn't play act. He didn't roll around like he was, you know, mortally wounded. And he set standards. And uh, I think he, uh, I think he is a fantastic player. And I think, but there's something lacking in midfield. I, I, whether it's a Tillemans, that type of player, whether it's, uh, I think, Kante is, a, to me, is a fantastic player. Um, but there's something missing in midfield. Yeah. If you say, yeah. if you, Mason scored a few goals, but where are the other goals coming from? Who's scoring goals from, you know, you know from midfield? Well, later on, we'll sort of discuss the um, Premier League top goal scorers for Chelsea this season. I know a few sort of people have already mentioned it. I know uh, BBC sort of did a caption of it, but it'll be actually interesting to sort of discuss that in detail later on. But, you know, when you say Tuchel came in, he changed the system and we did actually go on a nice unbeaten run, you know, from his first game against Wolves in the 27th of Jan. It wasn't until April the 3rd that we lost the game. And that was against West Brom, which was a freak result. Yes, we were down to 10 men, but that was one of the freakish results of the season. But in between that time, we went to Anfield and we won 1-0 with Mason Mount scoring a fantastic goal. We beat Atletico Madrid 2-0 at our place in the Champions League. We beat Everton in in the league as well. This is just sort of some of this just some games I'm just picking out. You know, we beat Newcastle two nil. We go to Tottenham and win one nil. Yeah, as well. You know, with a a fantastic defensive display that I remember. You know, it was just from everybody from the defence all the way all the way from defending at the front. We were just fantastic as a team. Yeah. So then we unfortunately lose to West Brom 
and then the, we bounced back against Palace, which we sort of mentioned. And as you say, the overall team performance with that game was fantastic. And you just felt that something's bubbling. Something's sort of yeah. coming up to the surface a little bit with this Chelsea now. Tuchel just seems a little bit more tactically assured of himself. He's got that experience of being with the likes of Dortmund and PSG. And it just felt, I remember at the time, I was thinking that this could work because the way he sets his team up is perfect for the players like Werner, players like Pudisic and Hakim Ziyech, who you know, we will talk about sort of later on how well, you know, I say how well, how they've done this season or lack of. But for me, it, it was it was mass- massively important that Tuchel started getting the defensive shape right because of the amount of clean sheets we got during his time. And it have certainly helped Mendy in goal. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he made a big difference. And, you know, being a centre-back, if you haven't got confidence in your goalkeeper behind you, it's a nightmare. The difference when you're confident with the goalkeeper that you've got behind you and one where you're thinking, when you're not confident, it makes your your decision-making, it affects your, you know, your decision. And the whole back four can look a little bit on edge if you've got a goalkeeper that is out of form. And Kappa was way out of form at, at times and, uh, and Mendy made a difference. He, there was an air of confidence about him which gave confidence to the back back four, back five or whatever formation you play. But he, he was a good signing and he's done well. He's do you done think well. that's do you think that's been the issue then with Chelsea maybe not this season, but probably last season when Kepper was uh, unfortunately playing every week. But do you think that was the case then that the the, the Chelsea defence had no confidence in Kepper because it was just a case where every time someone would take a shot it would go in. Yeah, I think I think they would. It's amazing. People who haven't played in the back four can't appreciate if you haven't got confidence in your goalkeeper. It makes a huge difference. And you, and you, and you, you know, you, you know, you can say there were goalkeepers I played where you knew full well if someone's going to hit a shot from twenty yards, twenty-five yards, he'd save it. He'd save it, and and you know we were confident in that. If you're seeing someone from 25 yards, you think, oh my God, if he hits that on goal, it's going to be a goal. Mm. You know, yeah. you're, you're planning. And what we were doing, we were pushing out, people staying in, which was leaving gaps. In, it, yeah, mm. it can really affect a back four. And I think that with a side like us that haven't scored enough goals, and we will talk about our top Premier League goal scorer this season, because we haven't scored enough goals, it, it was important that we kept them clean sheets. And, I don't personally believe we would have got that with Kepper in goal. I think that there no, would have been an issue with the defence, bearing in mind what Kepper's done in, in the past. And I'm not saying, and I'm, I'm not saying Kepper is the worst goalkeeper in Europe, although he's quite he's quite close to it. But I know there's a goalkeeper there. He just doesn't seem suited for this team, and I, I, I just feel that a move for Kepper this summer would probably be best for both worlds. It'd be, it'd be best for the club. It'd be best for him. And 
with all due respect, I think it'll be best for our defence because then they won't have to worry about if a player's going past us and he's one-on-one with our goalkeeper, chances are a goal's going to occur. What I'd like to know is who, who was the one that recommended Chelsea to sign him for £70 million? We're not talking about... We're not talking... Wasn't he the most expensive goalkeeper in the world? Uh, world's it? most expensive goalkeeper, yes. Now, who's who's taking responsibility for that? Well, I believe that was our managing director. All oh, right. If, if, any- if if I have it right, I, I am I am I am thinking it is. I, I was going to blame Michael Emanalo, but I don't think he was there at the time. I think he, yeah. I, I think I think he left beforehand. But he, he, he's another one who made a, a lot of bonkers decisions when it came to buying and um, letting go of players. Yeah, well, I, um, you know, I, I, the thing is, I've never looked at, uh, you know, from having the ball at his feet. I remember going to a few of his first games and I used to like think, what on earth is he doing? Because he was playing balls to to defenders and they were being closed down and it was a real effort to get the ball out. I remember seeing a Chelsea, I'm trying to think who it was against, where honestly he gave the ball away from having the ball at his feet about three or four times in a bad position. And you, and you look and you think, my God, whether he couldn't himself um, live with the fact that he was the world's most expensive goalkeeper, I don't know. But he, I don't think he's ever looked like a goalkeeper that's capable of or worth 70 million quid. Yeah. Yeah. And as you say, he, he doesn't, he he doesn't look confident. He doesn't look like a goalkeeper that's going to really win you league championships. And again, we, we, we'll, we'll discuss about the players that we would like to buy and players that we feel we should get rid of. And we'll talk about that obviously later on, but Kepa is one that, has really divided opinion amongst a lot of Chelsea fans. But when it comes to you know the league campaign, you know, we're, we're battling for you know Champions League positions. We're you know trying to catch Leicester City at this point because Leicester were quite comfortable in third at this at this point in, in the season. It just seemed that it was um, it was going to be a race between ourselves, West Ham, who were doing quite well, Liverpool and Tottenham. But the one sort of game for me that really stuck out, stood out, excuse me, that was a case of our credentials as a top side was beating Manchester City at the Etihad. Now, people will say that Man City didn't have their full strength squad out or, you know, Man City had their eyes on anything else. But if Man City won that game, they would have won the league. So you can't tell me that City did not have their eyes firmly on that game. You can't tell me that City would not wanted to wrap up the league quicker because then they can then obviously concentrate on other matters. You can't tell me that. We we beat City fair and square on, on that game. And Alonso scoring again, last minute goal. It was just a fantastic result for Tuchel and Chelsea. And also, Keith, the, the, the one thing I will say about that game is when you go to Manchester City, there are times you feel uncomfortable and there are times you think, oh my God, they're going to score. 
in both the semi-final and to a certain degree in the league game, I never felt that with Man City. I never felt that they were going to pressure us and we'd be fighting to get the ball out of the box and letting balls away and back it's coming. There was none of that in those two games. We we controlled the games and looked comfortable in those games. And this is the thing that gives me a little bit of hope in terms for Saturday. If we can get back to where we were in those games, you know, and they say, oh, yeah, you know, Man City made nine changes. Well, I think I'm right in saying we made five. Yes. You know, yes. so... We... We did make changes ourselves, but the players that came in for Chelsea and the players that came in for City, they weren't 17, 18-year-old unknowns. These were established players. Well, this is the difference between this is the difference between the uh, the way City do things and to uh, some extent Man United do things, and certainly Liverpool do it. You know, Liverpool, Man United, Man City don't buy a player that they think is going to be a good player in a year's time. They, they, they're ready-made to go into the first team and make the first team stronger. Um, and I I don't think there's any of those players that we've got with the... Well, the goalkeeper made and, and Chilwell has, has made a difference. But the other three boys, they haven't made our team that much better. Hmm. They haven't hmm. contributed this season where they've influenced our team becoming a better team. Hmm. Yeah. In fact, I think I'm right in saying that we probably qualified easier for the Champions League last year without them. Interesting point. And I think, you know, when you... I, don't get me wrong. I think Havertz is a superb player. Uh, a superb player. I could, my, I've got slight question marks about... I, I stick by Havertz all day long because he's an elegant... He's got something... He's got the X factor about him. The other two, I haven't for the life of me seen one. All right, he scored the goal in the in the semi final, uh, uh, and he, you know, so it's played well in that game. But to me, he's a bit of a dibby dabby, flicky, lightweight player. <laughs> and I know that might be harsh, but the one thing people have got to get ready for when they come into this league is the physicality. And he looks lightweight. Yeah. All the ability, got great skills, but he looks lightweight to me. Yeah. I think, yeah, when you look, talk about that result against Manchester City and you talk about, you know, building towards the end of the season with the players that we had, the likes of Hakim Ziyech and Pulisic, who you know, we, we, we are discussing. Sorry about that, mate. If you look at him and you want him to play like Mahrez, don't you? Is, it, is that a sort of comparison that you'd like your wide man to be? Uh, there's quite a difference there. Well, I've, I personally feel Hakim Ziyech is a poor man's Robin. Yeah, well, yeah. That's the best yeah. description I, I, I can give. For me, he's a, he's a poor man's Robin. The one thing, the one issue I did have this season, and it it bugs it, it bugs me, and I I hate it. I hate losing against this side, whether it's on you know when I see it under 18, yeah. reserve football, or even the first team. I hate it. Is when we lose to Arsenal, 
yeah. because, especially this season. When I look at Arsenal, and I'm not, not knocking any Arsenal fans at all, but Arsenal this season have been shocking. Yeah, they absolutely are. shocking. They've been, for me, a broken team. And they've got a manager who I think, you know, he, he seems a nice guy. He seems like he... he he, he seems like he knows what he's doing, but it looks based on the results. He doesn't. They beat us twice. Yeah. And convincingly, you know, we beat Man City. We, you know, we've, we've beaten the champions elect. We should be, you know, on cloud nine. We should be you know, a force to be reckoned with. We should be a team now that is building. Yes, we were in an FA Cup final. We're in a Champions League final. But we should be building towards next season. These players should be playing for their places in the finals. This is what would have happened under Jose back in 04 to 06. This is what would have happened even under yeah. the likes of Viali and Rude Hullet, Glenn Hoddle, managers of that calibre. And even you know people like Eddie McCready and Dave Sexton, you would have players... They've beaten a top team. They want to beat more teams. They would want to you know, keep that momentum going. We lose to Arsenal and we don't just lose to them, you know, with a lucky result. We were piss poor against them. Yeah, yeah. Well, well I think that's the thing I'm trying to get over to uh, is that we should be with what we've invested. And if you, if you look at that investment into to managers as well and, and, you know, because it costs a lot of money to, to bring uh, managers in and to get rid of managers in terms of compensation. You've just got to look at Jose Mourinho's bank balance for that. Um, <laughs> you know, um, and I see a footprint at Chelsea, but it's not a, a very deep one. <laughs> um, and what I'd say is, is that we should be a lot, a lot, lot more consistent in terms of the way we play. We've won games, a couple of games where we shouldn't have won them. We've been a bit fortunate. Um, I thought in the FA Cup final, I thought we were poor and we were, we had no cutting edge up front at all. Mm. Absolutely. Um, And I think that our only hope, and again, it happens at Villa, where we're playing extremely well in, in, in the first 20, 25 minutes. We look a team. But the truth of the matter is, how many shots did Martinez have to save? Not we many. Never, we, Not many. We either didn't hit the target. We either, we either fluffed. There was one chance when the, the, the ball came across to Verna. And he, he he had the audacity to appeal for a penalty when he's completely miskicked it straight in front of goal. And uh, I'm just looking. I'm just, just if I was Roman Abramovich, I was looking at that, and I'd invested I don't know 250 million quid. I'd be very frustrated. Yes. I have a little meeting with the with the people that are, are telling me to sign those players, the the, uh, the recruitment side of things, and say to them. You know, these players, for how they're performing, with all due respect, are a little bit overpriced. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because 
the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, I've I've seen Chelsea in a completely different light, both on and off the pitch. Yes, the disappointment of the FA Cup final. At the end of the day, Chelsea didn't did not turn up at all. No player oh. turned up. No player, you know, decided that they wanted to go out and just all out just sheer bloody mindful trying to win the game. They just were very, very passive, very, you know, very poor. A couple of days later, they play Leicester again in the league. Yeah. I was there in the Matthew Arden upper. And within the first five minutes, I, sh- I saw more hunger. I saw more yeah. desire in the Chelsea side. And yeah, I was going along with it. I was, I was pleased to see Chelsea doing well. But the other thing that was creeping in my mind was, why didn't you bloody do this on the week on the weekend? Well, you know, the, one of the biggest things you can have a, a, an exceedingly good footballer who's technically got everything. But Terry Venables used to say to me that a world class player is made up of sixty percent ability and forty percent mentality, and. If you've got the forty percent mentality, you've got the, the the you can be a world class player. Uh, and to me, it looked to me that all Chelsea thought they had to do was to turn up, and you get nothing ever cheap in a cup final. And I sat there as a Chelsea fan wanting Chelsea to win, so frustrated through the lack of passion. That was the word, passion. Yes, lack of passion, lack of desire. And who's the one person that's showing that passion? All It's Mason Mount. He's the one that runs over to get the ball. He's the one that had shots on goal. He's the one that's trying to create things. Um, I was disappointed the other day with you know, Pulisic. Uh, I was disappointed. And again, you're sort of in a halfway house with him because at times he looks brilliant. And at times he, he looks as if he's not interested. Yes. And that's... That's what I'm looking at the team. I'm thinking to myself, how many of these players really want it? Really want it? And I don't. I didn't see a lot of players in the cup final that really looked as if they wanted to win that. Well, they obviously did, but they didn't show it in terms of actions. Sometimes speak louder than words. Hmm. Well, we will find out on Saturday how much they want to win it because. It's taken Chelsea nearly 10 years to get to another Champions League final. It's not a given that clubs get into these finals. And we we should be fortunate, you know, the fact that a lot of the top clubs are having bad seasons. And I can think of the likes of Barcelona and Juventus, to, to, name, to name a couple, that we are in Real- this position. Real Madrid, yeah. absolutely. And, you know, in, in two games against Real Madrid... You know, Steve, you saw the games as well as I did. And I know there's thousands of Chelsea fans that would hopefully agree with me. We could have been, the, the aggregate score could have been 10 nothing. I, I the chances we had in both games, if we were clinical enough and there was a lot of intelligence on that pitch when it came to taking the chances and being able to be ruthless enough, we could have easily won both games 5-0. Oh, Keith, the tie should have been over in the first half at the Bernabeu. Absolutely, yes. The tie should have been out of their reach. And is it is it a coincidence 
that not one Real Madrid player is in the Spanish squad. <laughs> yes, no, I think that tells you everything you need to know. You know. Yeah, not one Real Madrid. When did you ever think you'd hear Spain going into a major competition with not one Real Madrid player? And the only and the only Real Madrid player that was potentially going to go was a thirty-five year old defender, Ramos. Yeah. So that that says everything. You know, the, there used to be a conflict in the Spanish squad because our Real Madrid and Barcelona because. It was half and half, and they hated yes. each other. Yes, you know, but now it's it's you know. Uh, but we learn. I learned something in that game, um, and that was how important a number nine is. And again, we're talking about players that Benzema. If we'd have had him in our team, we'd have won that in the first 25 minutes of the first leg. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that's what, that's what, you know, if, if we signed a number nine that could score 25 goals a season and was a goal poacher, I think we would have won a lot more games. We need to get someone, as you're going to read out the, the leading goal scorers, I, I would imagine from a Chelsea perspective, I would think it was probably Tammy Abraham was probably, but what I'm saying is there's not enough goals. And what concerns me is I'm looking at players not putting away chances, not just on Sunday, but it's been going on for a little while now. And that goal for Werner and for those boys must be getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Yes. And we're going into a major cup final, the best, the biggest cup final. And we've got not one forward who's in any little bit of form. That's what well, concerns me. Our front six, with the exception of, of Mason, uh, you know, and I was gutted for him. You know, the, the one he hit over the bar on Sunday? No, yes, yes. You know, we beat Leicester City... At Stamford Bridge, I was there. I was, you know, singing to me heart's content. My, my voice was going after, you know, 40 minutes because I was so pleased to be there and I, I was absolutely privileged to be there. And I just wanted to sing throughout the whole 90 minutes. And to, to win that game was massive. And the atmosphere, albeit there was only um, around about sort of 8,000 people there, was fantastic. I, I'm driving on the way home thinking, you know, yeah, all right, Disappointment with the FA Cup final. We've beaten Leicester now. We've we've pretty much put them in their place. Hopefully now we'll kick on and beat Aston Villa, who had nothing to play for apart from pride on Sunday. I'm thinking, again, the players are going to show up, show what they can do, end the season, end the Premier League season well, build the confidence up to the Champions League final. Yeah. What did we see on Sunday? As you we, said, blunt and poor. Just yeah. absolutely atrocious performance from a team's perspective. I'm not just picking out certain individuals here, but I will do. But from a team's perspective, there was nothing going forward. Nothing no. at all. You know, Mount had a couple of if, iffy chances. Werner was, again, a, an off game, but... It concerns me when 
we're having to rely on other teams to drop points on the last day of the season to, to well, that stay fourth. That's yeah. that's not for me. That's not Chelsea. That's not that, that's what Chelsea, Chelsea should be competing for in in the Premier League. Yeah, I totally agree, Keith. And you know, I I look at it and I would say that as a team, your destiny is in in, in your own hands. And I'm concerned. What you need in these cup finals is real leaders, people that are gonna. Grab you by the scruff of your neck, give you a shake. I knew that game wouldn't be easy on on Sunday. Do you know why? The coach of Aston Villa, JT, he support Chelsea in the final on Saturday, but no way would he he support Chelsea against his 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 team. And I bet he got them going in that dressing room. And I bet he got them. Um, and it seemed to me. That we, you know, you know, Rudiger, he's playing better than he's done for a long time. Yes. But do you ever see him have a go and point things out and like JT did in his heyday and get older players and come on, do it? No. He no does reason. that for me. He does that when things are going well. When yeah. things aren't going well, he goes hiding. And I don't know why, because it's the same player. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> yeah, to me, a leader is the one that leads when you're down, you're up against it, you're struggling. He's the one that, that, that gets everyone together. You know, the, you know, the, the, uh, even the, the final where we beat Bayern, um, there were leaders in that team. There was, and also we had a number nine that had a habit of scoring very, very, very important goals in very, very important games, and his name was Drogba. You know, uh, and we haven't got that. This team hasn't got someone like that that's going to rise to the occasion. And well, I, I hope we have, but so far, you know. Against Man City in the semi-final, we nicked a goal. We got a goal. And we deserved to, to get that goal. And we won 1-0. And that was the game where I was spoke to you on the Sunday. It was fantastic because we played... I felt that we'd kick on from there. I thought that was a starting point of us really starting to, and end the season with a flourish. It's been a little bit of a damp squib this end of the season. As far as I, you know, Arsenal, we get beat 1-0. We're playing the FA Cup final. And this person that has more shots at goal than anyone is Chilwell. He's our left back. Yeah. And I'm looking at it thinking, I, I am fearing on Saturday a men versus boy scenario. Hmm. that's what I'm going to look on and think, well, who is the one that's going to lead this team, grab it by the scruff of the neck, make sure we do our jobs on the, on the field? Because the manager is only as good as the, when the players go past that white line, that's when a leader becomes very, very, very important. Very important. 
And yes, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking to myself, I hope I'm wrong, but that's the fear I've got is the fact that it could be men versus boys. My main worry, the fact that we're in a European Cup final in itself is, you know, should be commended and we should partly be positive. But I am agreeing with you in an essence because of how of a damp squib our end of season has been, you know, losing to Arsenal, yeah, piss poor Arsenal, losing to Villa and I can't I can't remember the last time we beat Aston Villa at their place. We always seem to lose at Villa Park, even when we had the likes of Claudio Ranieri as manager. You know, we didn't really sort of do that great at Villa Park. But the my main concern against Man City was or is rather, is the fact that it's gonna be a case where if City score early, the floodgates are gonna open. And it could be a case where, because a few seasons ago, we lost to Man City at their place 6-0 and we had Antonio Conte in charge. And we had, for me, a much better team then than what we have now. And we we were toothless against Manchester City that the City game that where day. he played no one up front, Keith? Was that the one where he played no one up front? I believe it was, yes, yes. And he just flooded the midfield? Yes. Yeah, well, I could... I could never understand that anyway but 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 I think I think there's going to be part of Man City if, let's look at a little bit from the blue side of things the, the raw blue side of things we've beaten twice in the last two games yes we have they're going to be they're going to be confident but not as confident as they might be and the one thing about Man City when they're playing well and when they're they're a very arrogant side. They get hold of that ball. They boss the ball. They don't give it away. They work hard at getting the ball back. And they boss the game. It's got to be a little bit of, oh, you know, this team have beaten us twice in the last month. There's got to be some little things that if we... I'll tell you, the best scenario for us is for us to score first. Yes. I don't want us to chase the game. I think it's really important we get that first goal. Agreed. Absolutely because once agree. you start chasing Man City and you start you sort of going for it a little bit, that's when they become very, very dangerous. Very yeah. dangerous. Well, in regards to, to touching on the Premier League and we're sort of going to close the chapter on the Premier League, we'll sort of, I'd like to talk about the uh, <laughs> the top goal scorers for Chelsea in the Premier League this season. Steve, I don't know whether you've seen the list. We'll, t- we'll sort of talk about this quickly and then we'll sort of touch on the Champions League final a bit more. Yeah. And then we'll talk about our predictions for the the a summer transfer window. The Premier League top goal scorers for us this season. It's the first time a team has been in, has finished in the top four places and their players have not scored over 10 goals in the league. Oh, dear. Our top goal scorer is a man who all all his goals have been a, a penalties. Jorginho. Jorginho. <laughs> oh, my God. With seven. Never when would anybody have ever thought Jorginho would be our leading goal scorer? Oh, my God. <laughs> 
Oh my god. Oh. Hey, what, what, <laughs> god, the Chelsea fans used to go mad because he was playing so deep. Oh. All his goals have been from the spot. This season, anyway. Now that stat should tell you everything where Chelsea are at, at this moment in time. Yeah, it, it, as we've been talking about, Chelsea, it's we haven't got a cutting edge. We haven't no. got that number nine that scores 20, 20. In fact, the po- first podcast that we spoke, I spoke to you about, it was that we need a number nine. Yeah. We need that talisman up front. We need an, an Osgood, a, a Drogba. A, we've been renowned at Dixon, a, I don't know, a Jock Finiston. You know, all those boys scored 20-odd goals, 25 goals a season for Chelsea. And we haven't got that. And it's hit the nail on the head with what's wrong with Chelsea when when we've got Jorginho, our leading goal scorer. I wonder what price you could have got at the bookies on that at the start of <laughs> Well, the man behind him in joint second place is a guy who I do fear the fact that if Tuchel's going to be there after the summer, that this guy won't be, is Tammy with six. Yeah. Mason has six. Yeah. Timo Werner has six. Should have had 26. Should have had 26. The, The next guy... And this, again, this is where Chelsea are at this moment, is a player who I personally like, but I do believe you know, we're going to touch on what we predict later on with players incoming and outgoing. Kurt Zuma is the fifth guy on the list with five goals. Yeah, he had a little good spell, didn't he, with headed yes. goals from corners. Yeah, he's, yeah. And that's our, that's our top five goal scorers. That- that, that is unbelievable. That is unbelievable. The midfield players in that, like like you know Mason, that's not a bad return because I bet in that thing with Mason, there's a lot of assists as well in terms of his. Uh, so that's not a bad return. And Jorginho, take bottle to take penalties, but they should be way down the list, and you should have people with 15, 10, 25. You know, I wonder how many goals. Quite simply, if you could, if you signed him, I wonder how many goals Agüero uh, would score. Oh. Or I bet it'd be a little bit more than six. Well, you you do talk about assists. I've actually got the assist table up for the Premier League. the The leading assist maker for Chelsea. This might surprise you, Werner. Werner with eight. And I haven't got it here. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, that's why it surprised me. Do you know who the second guy is? Who's it's the second on the list? He's joint I second. Say, I would say Mason Mount. Mount's one of them, but there's another one. Um, can I find a friend? He plays in defence. Chilwell? Yes. No. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Well, he, he's... Well, he's not. The, the one thing about him is he appears in the most fantastic position. <laughs> you know that goal he scored in the final. He was. Uh, he appears. He's, he's on the eighteen yard edge of the eighteen yes. yard box. Really. Well, he again, some... the the goal he scored against Aston Villa. He, yeah, he, yeah. His overall position, and I think that will be key 
for Saturday. Because I do believe that if he plays Chilwell left wing back and he plays Aspilicueta right wing back, I think you will see Chilwell going forward more to overload on that right-hand side. Because I do feel that Carl Walker is okay-ish going forward. He's not great as a Defense. as a defensive wing back. So that, that could be key. That could be the area that Chelsea could exploit. And yeah. this could be a game, if we're talking about you know, previewing the Champions League final, I know he probably won't do it. I would play but, Werner on the left-hand side. Yeah, I, I would. I would, most definitely. Because I would play Werner that... left with Chilwell and over overload that right-hand side for Man City. Yeah, and also what what that will do, that will stop them attacking because they'll be very conscious of Werner's pace in yes. behind. So that will stop their, you know, and the two sources of their attack are their two fullbacks. They, they cause a lot of problems. They bomb on like you wouldn't believe the two Man City fullbacks. But if you occupy, occupy them with Werner, and uh, say to him, look, I want you to play wide left and I want you to every opportunity. Mind you, it'd be a good race between those two because he's not slow, is he? Uh, no, absolutely not. No, absolutely. You know, but, but, but at least that will occupy him and stop him going forward. And Werner, to be fair, to the, the one thing I can't ever criticise, he reminds me a bit of Tommy Langley. Tommy Langley wasn't the world's best finisher and missed a load of chances, but he worked really hard. And the one thing the fans loved about him was his work rate. And Werner um, reminds at the moment. Werner, you know, I've, I, I keep watching those Leipzig goals. It's well worth it on YouTube because they're unbelievable. Some of those goals, yes, you know, they are unbelievable. You just think, and it's amazing, really, because he's, he's had a, a big move to a fantastic club in the, you know, a dream move for him. Um, and he he's caught the Torres bug. <laughs> Well, less fingers crossed that on Saturday he catches the Drogba bug, especially with yeah. the final. Hopefully, absolutely, because because um, you know he scored the most important goal in Chelsea's history, didn't he, Torres? The Barcelona game. Oh, the semi-final, yes. Semi-final, yeah. You know, he he, he was the one. You know, um, yeah. So that's how quickly from the villain you can become the hero. And if I was someone, I'd play Werner that and tell him that he was in a thing where even the Chelsea fans were ridiculed in Torres at that time. Do you remember at Manchester United when he went round the goalkeeper and missed the goal? I'm, I'm trying to forget it. I have it pictured in my head because I've, I remember watching it live on telly and I, I still can't oh. fathom how he missed it. But yes. But I, 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 when he did that, because of the sort of form he was in, I felt absolutely gutted for him because that was just just epitomised what he was going through. Yes, absolutely. But yeah. ho- as you say, hopefully somebody it shows the players the 2012 DVD of us beating Bayern Munich. And again, we were underdogs in that game. I do yeah. believe that we are underdogs in this game as well. But again, we've got a little bit of experience when it comes to European football in, in the team. We've got players that have won things in our Chelsea team as well. So I know City have recently won the Premier League, but 
I'm not writing off Chelsea. Yes, I don't. With all due respect, I'll put. I'll gladly put my hands up. I do not fancy our chances on Saturday, but I won't stop believing that we could pull off an upset. And maybe in the oh. e- even in the 89th minute, if the game is still one nil to City, for example, I will still not stop believing that we could still win it. No, yeah. Listen, as we've seen in those games. The Man United game we already talked about and the Chelsea game to a certain degree, we hung on by the skin of our teeth. Both Man United and Chelsea in those two cup finals mm. hung on by the skin of their teeth because they should have been 3-0 down Man United. Um, and once we went 1-0 down against Bayern Munich, everyone thought the writing was on the wall. Yes. But if you hang there, no one knows what, what could happen. No one, you know, it might come off the end of Werner's nose without him realising it and go in. It, it's, it's one of those games where you've just got to keep yourself in the game. But what I'm saying about you, we probably know how to play against Man City probably better than any other club because it's worked for us twice. And if I know Pep's a bit of a tactical genius, but so is, you know, Tuchel. So therefore, they might want to tweak it a little bit. But we have beaten them twice. We've beaten them and beaten them well twice. We, I think we went to Man City and we had more possession than any other team had ever had at, at, um, at Man City in that game. So we've got something to, to hold on to. We've got something to, to, to... And also, it's quite nice going into a final, not the favourite. Interesting. There's no pressure. There's no real pressure. There's no, you know, I'm I talking to Chelsea fans. I was in a house full of them, on, uh, not a house full of them. Uh, my son had a couple of his mates around. And they're Chelsea fans. And not one of them thinks we're going to beat Man City. They want Chelsea to beat Man City, but not one of them thinks they're going to beat. And I think when you're like that, you've got nothing to lose. And you turn that on its head and you go for it. Absolutely. Myself and Steve, we are hopeful that Tuchel can pull out a tactical masterpiece on Saturday and hopefully with the players that are on show, that they show that they can produce in the big games. Because because now what myself and Steve are going to do, as this is one of the last sort of episodes that we're going to talk about this before the transfer window, is we've come up with a small list of players that we would like Chelsea to bring in and a list of players that we feel Chelsea need to get rid of for the sake of our sanity as much as the club's sanity. So, Steve, we discussed this um, privately yesterday about compiling sort of a very short list. Um, It didn't take me long for my sort of first two to three players that I was thinking of... um, bringing in but just just to sort of start this off Steve if I can when it came to being in the dressing room and you was part of you know some great Chelsea sides that you know were were bringing in some top players but also names that perhaps became better players at Chelsea how important just how important is it for the recruitment side to be absolutely spot on, bearing in mind 
the money involved in the the actual yeah. sports of a football. Well, it's, it's very important, Keith. You know, with all due respect, if you look at our recruitment um, from from Kepper, you know, the, the most expensive goalkeeper in the world, seventy odd million pounds we paid for him. We paid two hundred and fifty million pounds for three players that really haven't done it yet, and they've had a season. The truth of the matter is, they've had a season. They've still not shown. They've shown it in little spells but they haven't shown it on a consistent level. And I think the recruitment, if I was Roman Abramovich, I wouldn't be too happy with my um, you know, recruitment at the moment. I'd, I'd be asking questions. Um, and the other thing is, you know, you there's a lot of managers, and Pep's one of them, that he finds out what kind of person you are, whether you're a good pro, whether you, you know, you're, you're dedicated, whether you like a drink, whether you... You know, he looks at everything. I'm not saying for one minute Chelsea players like a dream. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is it's a thorough thing. And the recruitment at Chelsea, it's not a coincidence probably that the most successful signing that we've had has been Chilwell because he's spent his footballing life playing in the Premier League. And it's a massive difference. A massive difference to most leagues. It's, it's just the physical, you know, the physicality of it. Um, and the truth of the matter is have it you could turn them as as, as um, you know not physically up to the lightweight not physically up to the job um, and you've got to when you come into the Premier League you've got to start immediately immediately and um, you know so I think that recruitment recruitment is vital to this next stage if Roman's going to invest his money this is a big window for us because we can't afford any more mediocre signings as it stands at the moment well let's let's start with your three players that you would like to bring in and then we'll sort of discuss it briefly and then I'll go through my list but we'll We'll start with the incomings first and then we'll discuss about the players that we want to pretty much just completely get rid of. Well, to me, um, I'd put... I'd do whatever it takes to get Haaland. Whatever it takes, I would do. Whether that's having a little bundle with with um, Tammy, um, Hudson-Odoi, you know, when you think about it, it's, an, it's another thing. Chelsea turned down £70 million for Hudson-Odoi. £70 million. You know... It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. He's gone on to a bloody big contract because um, they've there was a £70 million bid for him and he's done nothing. It doesn't seem to me he wants it enough. So I'd do a lovely little bundle and I'd say to 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 Bayern, there's three players and we'll pay 50 million quid for Haaland. And you've got to remember, Dortmund love signing English players. They like English players. And I'd do whatever it takes to get a proper 
nine that will guarantee us between 20 and 30 goals a season. Because without that, I think the Champions League is going to be even harder next year. And we've got to be up there with the, we've got to progress and do the right things now. The other thing I'd look at is a centre-back. And I'm going to, I'm going to go right. I watched Fulham on the telly a few times. And I, this is only on the telly. Obviously, I couldn't go to the game. But I like Anderson, the big centre-back from Lyon. He looks to me to be a, a leader. He's good on the ball. He's very good in the air. The sort of defender that loves defending. Playing in a struggling side, but still looking good. Great range of passing. And please, when everyone's slagging me off, Van Dyke came from a struggling Southampton side. Um, and he proved to be an absolute, an absolute... Good point. But I like at uh, Fulham. And I think in a good side, with good players, he'll become better. And he's only 22. And then the other one, I like mobile midfield players. Um, I don't think you get him, but I think the type of player we need is a Tilleman. We need that. We've got the best defensive midfield player in the world. We've got Mason, who's as good, but Tillman is a bit of both. He can play in that slightly deeper role alongside uh, Kante, and he can get forward. He's a box-to-box uh, midfield player. Um, so those would be my three. If, in an ideal world, and I can't understand the life of me why, when he was at Leicester Tillemans and he was playing really well, why more clubs didn't say, we'll have him. We're yeah. putting a bid for him. He's always been a very, very good player. And no, I wouldn't have Hazard back. We will talk about that later. I'm I'm glad you brought him up, but I would like to talk about that later. Um, <laughs> there's, the been, we... there's, been a, there's been a lot of talk about that, hasn't there? <laughs> By the time we're signing, it'll be 19 and a half stone. <laughs> it's too much paella. Oh, dear me. It'll be too much paella. So, you, so you've gone through your list. We will put this up on our um, social media accounts as well. We'll actually sort of have, have, a bit of a, have a bit of a fun game with this. We'll sort of um, put this in a... Put put this in our vault, and then we'll see if any of them actually do... Um, come true but we will sort of um upload these on our uh, instagram page and we'll upload these on our facebook and twitter accounts but you've gone through your three steve i'll just sort of quickly go through mine i did i was thinking of maybe uh, adding a fourth but i thought no just sort of to be on the safe side i'll, I'll stick with the three the first player who i would go for without a shadow of a doubt and again you know you've talked about you know um bringing in players with uh, player plus cash I would do for me whatever it takes to bring in someone like a Declan Rice to Chelsea I would speak to West Ham and say if you want 80 million pounds it's yours but we'll throw in a couple of players like uh, Marcos Alonso uh, Mishi Bashwai players of that ilk 
with you know, for Chelsea. Premier League experience, if you want it, they're yours. Maybe even potentially a couple of you know loan players, like maybe even loan Hudson Adoy to them. But I would do whatever it takes to get Declan Rice to Chelsea. For me, him and Mason Mount would be the you know this generation's equivalent to a John Terry and a Frank Lampard for one club. Yeah, I think they're they're both they're both sort of leaders in their own right, aren't they? And, they're best uh, mates. They're, yeah. they're fantastic leaders on the pitch. They're great off the pitch as well. And I just feel that Rice would absolutely shore up that midfield that I believe, you know, Kante's fantastic. Gilmore is a diamond in the rough. He's, he's still got some fantastic potential. But, it, you know, you, you can't rely on Gilmore's every single game. Other than that, I would get rid of everybody else in that midfield role, and I would bring in Rice and have Kante I, and Rice in midfield. I can't, I can't argue with you in terms of the, the player because Rice is a superb player. The only thing that concerns me in that is that if you have Kante and Rice, I think they scored about three goals between them this season, and what. I'm a little bit concerned about, as we've read out through the, the goal scorers at the moment, we aren't getting the goals all around the team that we should be getting. And my only concern on that, he's a great player, Rice, is that where are we going to get the goals from midfield from? And that's my only concern, because our leading midfield player hasn't scored a goal in open play, and the other leading has scored six goals. So we've got to get those players, the midfield players. I think Mounter will get into double figures. I really do. I think he will get into next season. But we need another one of those that's going to get into double figures. Well, it's interesting you say that. It, it, and again, it, it it's all about opinions. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if they let Kante go. Because how is he now? Oh, uh, I believe 27, 28 years old. Well, if he's 28, 29, if he's 28 or he's 29 this year, it could be the last time that they can get a paid. And the one thing about Chelsea, if you look at their transfer record, is they know when to sell a player for top money. And then if Kante goes and they've already lined up Rice. Oh, my word. But I... <laughs> just, just want to uh, interrupt you. Sorry, Steve. I've just got his age. He's not twenty-seven, twenty-eight. He's actually thirty years old. Yeah. So really, and he's had a lot of injuries, hasn't he? Yes, he has. Yep. It wouldn't surprise me if he's one of the boys that go. As much as it would break my heart, but the truth of the matter is, if you're getting Declan Rice in, and you'll still get a lot of money for Kante, then. You know, Tammy Abraham's going to West Ham might be a good good uh, deal in that deal. Yes. Yes. And the other one, which is, I feel sorry for him, but to me he's not top class, is Kurt Zuma. He, he would be a good person to put in a deal. So that might be a little something for them to, you know, a couple of those players going in. And then put Hudson-Odoi into the... Um, 
into the Haaland deal because they will know about Bayern Munich wanting him and they will know the sort of money that Bayern Munich were prepared to offer and they do like signing English players. Well, you talk about Dortmund. The next player on my list does come from Dortmund. It's not Haaland that I would particularly go for, like realistically that I would go for, but it would be Jadon Sancho. And the mm. reason for my choice is I believe he is he has got better as the season's progressed. The fact that Dortmund have come out recently and said that if anybody wants to pay what we feel he's valued, he's yours. And apparently his valuation has gone down from what it was last season. He's he, he's a guy that's got so much potential. He can easily get better with the right coaching. And I I, I believe someone like Tuchel will love having him in, in, in the team. And he would be one for me that I just feel he would be, especially in the wide areas, and I'm not counting Werner in this in in this instance, but he he's better than what we've got. Oh, listen, he's certainly better than Hudson Doy because that's, uh, to be fair, I think they both suffer suffer from the same syndrome um, because he's been a, a bit of a naughty boy. This this he's he's got a few disciplinary marks against him at Dortmund, hasn't he? Over the last year, that's and, right. Yes, but I think Tuchel probably has the you know the, he's a disciplinarian Tuchel. And probably that's what he needs. And um, yeah, I, I can see that. But I still think the one thing we got to do is get a nine. Well, that's it, the last it, person on my list. All right, I'm looking forward to that's it. That's the last person on this. You aren't going to Man City, are you? Well, no, because um, you know I'm, people that say about Sergio Aguero, for for me, our chance of getting Aguero was. Over ten years ago, you know, when when he was at Atletico Madrid, we had the chance to sign him. We dilly dallied on the price for him, and he ended up going to Manchester City, and we we ended up missing out on on a fabulous player. Yeah, part of me, I I would go to Inter Milan. Oh, well, I I would actually sort of you know ask both of them which one wants to come because I I would love to have Lukaku back. Um, much to many Chelsea fans' um, confusion because a lot of them don't rate Lukaku. I personally feel that he's this generation's version of a Jogba. All right, quality-wise, he might not be the same, but he isn't far off and he knows where the goal is. He's scored over 100 Premier League goals. You know, the, he, he's not a bad player. But the oh. other player who I would probably go for if Lukaku's too expensive is... Martinez from Inter Milan. Yeah, he's not a bad player, him. Now, he is somebody who would certainly get you the goals, and I think he would actually work well with the likes of Mount, with the likes of Werner, with Sancho, if we did obviously buy both, that would be pretty awesome. But even someone like a Pulisic, he would work fabulously well with the movement in, in that front three. And when the likes of Kante, if he's still there, breaks up the play, Martinez's movement off the ball, defenders would find it a real hard struggle, especially with the pace of the Premier League. They would find it a real hard struggle to cope with that. So 
My heart says Lukaku because I still think he's a fabulous player. But personally, I I would love to get the um, Martinez. Yeah, I, I that, that's 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 a good, that is a very good uh, shell. That's a very good shell. Very so good that's shell. that that's a, that's the three players that we've picked. Hopefully, we we will watch with interest. We'll see which one of these six players potentially could come to Chelsea. It could be none. It could be three. Hell, it, it, it could even be five. We, we don't know. But we will watch with interest and we will actually keep an update on it on our um, social media pages. We're going to quickly now talk about the... And we had to we had to put it down to three because otherwise if we talked about the whole squad, we'd be here for another three hours. But we decided to go with the three. So, Steve, I want you to... Uh, come up with the three names that you would be more than happy to pack their bags, tell them thanks, but find yourself a new club. Right. Uh, this is, um, I think for Tammy Abraham's career, he's got to go. Okay. And I think that's a, a decision that sh- should um, being the interest of both parties, and it's with great sadness having sort of been a, a Chelsea baby once. Most it's sad to say, um, I'd be ruthless with Hudson Odoi because he's got the most God's given him the most unbelievable ability, and I don't think he's doing himself justice. Um, and I would let him go. Um, and I'd let Kurt Zuma go as well. Because I think as good as a 100%, he, he's a 100%er, he gives everything all the time. I just think at times he comes up short. Apart from when he goes up in corners, and he's very good at that. But it's all about defending, and I I, um, I would let him go. And I, as I said, I'd try to use them in deals if I could. Interested, and what concerns me as well when you look at our uh, our recruitment, and we go for all these exotic, well-known foreign players. I wonder if you'd swap Watkins, who was at Brentford, for Werner at the moment. Hmm. I wonder. That'd be interesting. You know, and he he cost what did he cost? Eighteen million quid, or something. Yeah, eighteen quid, and uh, yeah, I wonder, you know, because he he caused us problems the other day. He caused us a lot of problems at Villa. I was very impressed with him on on Sunday. Well, he was at, up the road, he was up the road at Brentford. There's there's I talk think... of him potentially going to Tottenham um, as a replacement for Kane, but again, as you say, we'll we'll watch sort of the space yeah. with that. I, I I do believe there is a player there in Ollie Watkins. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so certainly he has got the pace. He's, he's he's got some great skills as well, which you know would frighten defence. And it would be interesting if you played him in a in a better side. You know, with all due respect to Aston Villa, if you did play him in a better side, what he can produce. Yeah, well, well, I uh, I I just think it's nice to see people stretch people with runs from the middle. He does that lovely bending run. And once he's in, he's got good pace and he's got a good touch. 
and he's, he stretches teams and that's what we lack a little bit apart from Werner going down the left most of the time and causing problems in wide positions because if he goes up the middle he gets himself offside so many times yeah you know and um, but yeah I just think we sometimes we keep you know one of the best signings that I can think of for a long long time was Robertson from Hull for what did Liverpool pay eight million quid for left back it was less than ten million yes yes uh, there are people under your noses, but what we do, we go for these, and you know, it's probably easier for the likes of Watkins and Robertson to sell into the Premier League than it is foreign superstars. Yes, I'll touch on my three. Um, mine's not the same as yours, which actually makes it more interesting. So, we'll again, we'll watch this with great interest over the summer. The first name. I did put down one of the reasons I did was because of recent events is Ross Barkley who, you know, you've mentioned about Sancho and Hudson Adoy, you know, being in the papers for the wrong reasons. This guy seems to, every time he goes out for a drink, there's somebody that takes a picture of him, but unfortunately he doesn't have his head switched on when it comes to these sort of things. And Unfortunately, he's, it's going to be a case where his career is going to stagnate, albeit it's partly starting to now. He came in with a lot of promise at Everton. Yeah. I remember when he you know, he was becoming an you know, integral part of Everton's sort of, you know, seasons in the Premier League. And he was... He was termed the new Rooney, the next Rooney. Well, yes, exactly. And, you know, there was talk about him going abroad. You know, there was talks about 20 million, 30 million pounds moves here and there. That didn't happen. He stayed in Everton. And then we ended up signing him for quite a small fee because, you know, his contract was expiring. We ended up bringing him in under Conte's second season. He had a bad injury. His debut actually came on the last day of the season when we got spanked by Newcastle and he looked completely, you know, off lacking of fitness and off the rails. He hasn't he hasn't produced enough for Chelsea. He hasn't had enough I I wouldn't say enough chances because I think he has had I think he has had enough chances for Chelsea. Um Steve, if if if, if I'm right in saying, but I just don't no. think that I don't no, I, think the desire is there with him. I, I don't know. I, I have two words that I think a footballer that has been given a gift and abused, abuses that gift. And he's a very talented boy. I think if a footballer turns around at the end of his career and says, if only, I think those are the two words you should never allow yourself to say. And Barkley is one of those people that at the end of his career, he will say that over and over and over again, if only. Yeah. Because um, he's a, probably a, a multi-millionaire. And, but when it comes to it, loads of ability. To be fair, Keith, I actually forgot he was still at Chelsea. Um, <laughs> I actually forgot he was. I, you know, I've I, he, seen him play for Villa and he hasn't really t- pulled up trees there. He's done it in little spells, but he hasn't really done it over. But no, I, I, I totally agree. I totally agree with you. 
one of those sort of players out of the club. Out yes, the yes. The next player, um, no surprise for those who have have been supporting the podcast since episode one. Um, my feelings on Kepa will never change, even if he saves five penalties in a shootout against Man City on Saturday. For me, he is he's not a world-class goalkeeper. He's not a goalkeeper that's going to win you Premier Leagues and European Cups. He still looks like a child in goal. There's no upper body strength in him. In the games that I've seen him live, in the games that I've seen him on you know, on telly, albeit this only you know, the cameras show you certain bits, but when I've seen him live, he doesn't command his box. And even when he does, I fear that the you know his defenders don't listen to him. And that tells you everything you need to know about the, the standard of goalkeeper that he is. It's been a £70 million flop. And the quicker that he leaves Chelsea, and I'm not just talking about Chelsea as a, a, you know, as a whole and you know, we need to get world-class players in every single time. I'm actually looking at it from a psychological point, from the player's standpoint. He needs to go for the sake of his career. He needs a fresh start. He needs to get out of this country because if he stays in this country, he'll still be deemed the £70 million flop. He'll still be deemed as a good goalkeeper that's not good enough. He needs to leave Chelsea, go to Italy, go back to Spain, work on your career, be be the best goalkeeper you can be because at the moment, you're never going to be a top goalkeeper at Chelsea because... Uh, Unfortunately, Kepa, and if there's if there's Kepa fans listening to this, you know, fine, so be it. He's not good enough, and want to be harsh, he's crap. He thinks the world of you, Keith. <laughs> he watches your podcast all the time. <laughs> I might have him on as a guest in ten years' well, time, no, maybe. No, right. What I will say on that <laughs> is. Um, <laughs> We bought him for 70 million quid. I don't think we could sell him for 10 at the moment. So what are the, the options open to Chelsea? Do you rebuild him, which I think has started under Tuchel? I think he's beginning to re, rebuild his confidence and his... Because there must have been something there. there may, he must have been a good goalkeeper at one stage. And sometimes he... Do you remember the guy that went to Manchester United, Italian goalkeeper? And the first, one went through his legs. Ah, Massimo Taibi. Yeah. And he yes. Was one of the best goalkeeper. But he never recovered from that. That's right. He never recovered with that. And I just think it's probably in Chelsea's best interest to rebuild him and strip him down and build him up, build his confidence up. And if he saves five penalties against Man City, I'll be absolutely delighted. Um, but I don't think there'd be any buyers so I don't think the options are open to us to to get rid of him I think the option, the only option we've got is to, to, to believe him a little bit given his confidence and as I said because he looks a bit better he looks a bit filled out than he because he, he looked like a boy when he first came and the goal looked very big when he first came um, but with goalkeepers, I can never understand anyone wanting to be a goalkeeper. 
um, <laughs> in the first place. Uh, but they are a different type of person to any other footballer. They're their own breed. And I just think it's probably in our best interest financially as well as is to stay with him and build him up again. It's interesting you do mention that. And again, I look at what Chelsea have done in the past when we've bought players for big money and for whatever reason it hasn't worked out, whether they haven't adapted to this country, they haven't adapted to the style of play that Chelsea implement in the Premier League. But he's never going to be better if he's going to stay a number two. And I can't see for the life of me any manager, whether it's Tuchel or you know Frank Spencer, that would pick Kepa over Mendy. Yo, yes, it's okay. He's picking Kepa for one game here and there, but not not long term. No, not long term. But I think for for his own career, he needs to be a number one because he that will be the only time he will get better. And whether yeah. the only op, the the option that I think Chelsea have got that they've done in the past, which I've mentioned, and the players that I've sort of got in my head that, that they've done this before with the likes of Veron, the likes of Crespo, the likes of Shevchenko is if he's got two years left on his contract, put him out on loan for two years. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. He's, he's not, it's not a hundred percent sure that he's not going to play in the Champions League final. <laughs> oh, now, now, oh, is, oh. Here's, <laughs> scenario. He goes out and he has an absolute blinder against Man City in the Champions League final. An absolute blinder. And we win or lose, but he has a great game. That's how quickly football can change. And I know it's a very, very big if. A very big if. But that's how quickly football can change. He's not fit, Mendy, for the final. He goes in, he has a stormer. He ends the season as number one. What would that do to a kid who's had his confidence absolutely destroyed? Interesting. You know, it, football can change on the on the. You know, it, it's the most. So many people that you see their career changes on one little aspect, and all of a sudden it's bang, and they're away. They're away. I think the person that should have a lot of responsibility for Chelsea, where we are and what we do at the moment, is Jose Mourinho. He's to blame. <laughs> if you look at the players that he sold, what we do as a club to have them now, De Bruyne, Salah, you know, Lukaku, you know, people that he didn't think could affect his CV, that couldn't win him trophies while he was manager, he just got rid of them. And they were Chelsea's future. This is going to end up being a controversial episode. I like it. Interesting. I believe it. I believe anyone at the football club, when Jose Mourinho is there, that can't affect winning trophies for his CV, he doesn't pay any attention to and he'll get rid of. And those three boys were kids when he was there and he, he didn't give them the time of day. And look at them, all three of them. 
and you had a few more to those as well. But that, you know, we get, we've given away, and I say given away to Wolfsburg, a player who's become probably the best player in the world. Yes. And that was our future. They were bought not for Jose Mourinho, they were bought for the future of Chelsea Football Club. They were little investments for the future. But oh no, Bollockbont, who causes rows wherever he goes, you know, he, he, he got rid of them. Interesting. And it's that sad because the, the recruitment at Chelsea then, I don't know was it, I, I don't know who it was, but he was bringing in players that were quality players and had the foresight to see that these younger kids that he was buying for nothing, you know, very reasonable amounts of money, which were to be put and nurtured for the future. Was it Frank Arneson? Was he the man? He was, no, um, the individual was Michael Emanalo, Frank Arneson yeah. left quite um, quite before that time. But he he, he had foresight in the, the players that, that that Chelsea bought. They were very talented young kids, and they were kids at that time. Yeah, you know, and I think that, that we we're talking. Well, no, football's a, but listen, I would in many ways. I don't care. Hell, Chelsea win on Saturday. I don't care who's in goal, what the team is, as long as we win. And but you know something, there's a little bit of something when someone has a hard time in football, and their confidence goes, and everyone's on their back, and everyone's. It's a a horrible position to be in, and he's had to deal with this for a long time now. The goalkeeper, a long time. He came as the world's most expensive goalkeeper. He's, he knows more than anyone he, he hasn't done himself justice. And, but sometimes football has a no, nice way of uh, turning the, 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 the tide on your career and hopefully his is a tidal wave on, on Saturday as he plays. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's, it's actually a good segue to my last player on the list. And um... You're not going to tell me has it, are you? No, 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 no. A player that I would like to sell. No, no, that's all right. A player that I would love to actually pack his bags for him and I'd even pay his cab fare to the airport. Um, A player who has divided opinion. I've given him the benefit of the doubt on more than one occasion. And I just don't believe he's another player that's going to win us the league championship. I don't believe he's going to be a player that can improve his game by staying with us. And that's Jorginho. Yeah. I feel that it's time for him to go. He hasn't progressed as an individual or even improved the team. He really, I know he frustrates supporters with the, with the style of play that he implements when we're looking to go forward because we're trying to get a goal and he passes back or he passes sideways. He's too cautious with the ball. It's all very well being cautious. And I'm very well aware about is how important it is to keep clean sheets because I would prefer to keep clean sheets. I don't, I, I don't want games where it's 5-3 here or 3-2, 2-1, scrappy. I, I like it when it's 1-0. You know, people used to moan, when Jose was first in charge about, oh, we're not entertained. The football's dull. We're not, you know, we're not, 
attacking much or we're not, it's not entertaining. We were winning matches. And the last time I checked, football was about winning. It's all very, you know, and you look at Petr Cech's record. Would Petr Cech, what would Petr Cech be happy with? These clean sheet record or being in a game where he was winning 4-3 or 5-2 or 4-1? Well, clean sheet record. Absolutely. So, but, but, but what I'm saying to you is the most underrated Chelsea footballer that has ever been was in that Jose Mourinho back four. And he played against probably the best centre-back, alongside the best centre-back this country's had for years. And Chelsea were built on a fantastic back four. And Chelsea had the ability to to go 1-0 up. And in those days, when Chelsea went 1-0 up, a lot of teams thought, that's it, we've lost that, because they were that good. And that underrated, most underrated footballer that Chelsea's ever had is Carvalho. Carvalho was one of the best defenders this club, this club has ever had. And him and John Terry were the, the, the best partnership I think this club has ever had. And, um, and the Chelsea foundations were built on that. And what he's tried to do ever since is replicate that, but he's never had the players. You try to do it at Tottenham, go one new up and become negative. I remember watching Chelsea Tottenham at Chelsea and I think it was Carvalho scored to go one new up. And that was it. At home, we sharp shot for the whole of the second half and they didn't even look like scoring. But that was... Chelsea fans weren't used to that type of football. They wanted to go and get a second, get a third. Rub Tottenham's, you know, nose in it. But that was our... But since he's left Chelsea, he hasn't had the players to do that. And he still tried to do that, Mourinho. Yeah. And that's been his problem. It certainly was his problem, problem at Tottenham because they, they couldn't do it. And when they, you know... So, yeah. But I, I agree 100% with, um, with Jorginho. Uh, I like dynamic midfield players. I like players that get the ball and go forward. You know, the goal that Leicester scored against us in the cup final. I'm sorry to remind everyone about that. But I can't see many of our players doing that, getting a ball, driving forward and hitting a 30-yard ball in the top of the net. I haven't seen that, you know, that type of, you know, for a long, long time with the the exception of one player in our midfield who's made some mount that has the ability to do that. But we haven't got those players that can do that, that run onto a ball, get forward, box. Jorginho is not a box-to-box midfield player, is he? No, he's not. He's not. And I think every person should be a box-to-box midfield player. Yes, you've got your holding players, and yes, they have the responsibility. But actually, if there's a chance for them to break forward, they break forward, someone sits in. It's simple. But it's it's all, everything's put into little uh, round holes and square holes and, and it's all a bit funny the blend in midfield at Chelsea I think and I think Jorginho is a big problem yep absolutely so I agree 100%. two out of three is not bad yeah and the only <laughs> that's I a good song right. somewhere yeah absolutely but I sign right if and it makes sense 
to me, and I've always thought that when the time's right, they will sell Kante, and there's, there's interest from PSG. You know, um, and he'll probably go. That's the time when you sign Declan. And yeah. you've got the probably the best English stroke Irish um, holding midfield player in the country. Yes. Yeah. And well, that's our list. So would you sign Hazard then? Well, obviously, as we're as we are recording, there's a few rumours, and I'm hoping these rumours aren't true. I, I will say this right off the bat: that Real Madrid are looking to sell Eden Hazard for a fee of 43 million. Bearing in mind they signed him a couple of years ago for 130 million. So good business, Roman. Good business. <laughs> um. There's rumours of Hazard leaving Real Madrid and already people are putting two and two together and it's not coming up with the right calculation. They're saying that Hazard will be returning to Chelsea. Steve, I'll ask you and I'll have a feeling based on the answers that you've told me before what you are going to tell me. But would you have Eden Hazard back if the offer came in of £43 million? No. I think Eden Hazard is a fantastic footballer and has been brilliant for Chelsea. But I don't want Chelsea fans to forget when he downed tools, effectively. Um, I think it was a year after we won the league. He had a woeful time and he, he literally was sulking and there was all sorts of things behind the scenes that were happening. And, um, and then he's got the move that he wanted, the move that he kept going on about. And he turns up to Real Madrid a couple of stone overweight. And to be fair, he hasn't done them justice when they've paid an awful lot of money for him. It was the move he wanted. It was his dream move, evidently. Um, and to turn up at that football club, one of the greatest football clubs in the world, well overweight. And how many games has he played over the last two seasons? Oh, I can't think of it. All, all, all I know is he has missed more games in two years than he's actually played. Yeah, and, and to me, the warning signs are there. And you know something? Everyone says it's... This is what I find really strange. It's only 43 million. It's only, it's only 43 million. Well, 43 million is an awful lot of money. And he's been dogged by injury. And I might add, a lot of people don't think he's been that injured at times when he hasn't played. And I think there's a big, big question mark if he's got his cigar in at the moment and just going to make as much money as he can and see his career out um, in a whimper. And what I want to see more than anything is hungry, young, girl-type players that want to achieve things with Chelsea Football Club for the right reasons. Yes, and I a, agree with that. Absolutely agree very, with that. When you've been a great at a football club, never go back. Never go back. Well, one player that, again, has been linked with a return to Chelsea. Um, I mean, before we discuss that, I'll, I'll sort of talk <laughs> about my views on Hazard. I mean, Hazard was fantastic for, for Chelsea in, in his time. Yes, there was... 
one or two seasons where he didn't perform brilliantly and you know we could discuss for another five hours why and what and where and how but at the end of the day Hazard was great for us at the period it was the right time to sell him to Real Madrid because he scored I believe it was two goals against Arsenal in the Europa League final and it was just a case where you just knew he needed that next move that next step to become one of the top players in the world and I remember Chelsea, when we won the league, he was being talked about as not just the best player in in the Premier League, but one of the best players in the world. The next season, completely a different player. And there's no way he has got near the standards of Messi, the standards of Ronaldo. And even, you know, going back to all the way to, you know, years gone by, he hasn't, got to that stage where people are talking about him being one of the world's best. He's at Real Madrid, a couple of stone heavier, a lot more richer, but he certainly hasn't been the hazard that Real Madrid wanted. And at the end of the day, Real Madrid are deep in debt. They need money. They see hazard as a commodity that they could possibly sell. And if I was Chelsea, and I know Chelsea fans are partly, some are split on this. I am definitely in the camp of no way should we re-sign him. There's no need. I'd rather sign, honestly, Keith, I'm not being funny. If I were going to make a signing like that, uh, and I don't know how old Hazard is. He's 31, is he? I will have a look now. Yeah, I think he's... Let me just have a look now. Mr. Hazard, he's 30, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, I'd rather, without paying any money, one of the best signings in the Premier League this season, and the guy is absolutely quality, was Cavalli at Manchester United. On a free, yes, they had to pay him a few quid, but on a free for nothing... That man is a class footballer. If I was Chelsea and I wanted to do something a little bit different and think outside the box, I'd sign Aguero. I, I, yeah. I'd do a sign like Silva for a couple of years. And when you wanted him, when you, if you wanted him on the bench, you had him coming on. Or I think that that guy has got two more years of scoring goals in the Premier League, and he proved that on Saturday. He was unbelievable on Saturday. Yes, he did. Yeah. But I, I, I think he'd probably go back to Atletico Madrid. So I think it, that's where I end up. But I'll tell you, if I wanted a little funny little thing like a silver, who's been, I wish that man was 28. <laughs> because even at 34 now, he looks absolute class. Well, it, it seems as if Aguero is going to be going to Barcelona. Um, as again, Barcelona have not got any money to spend on yeah. players. So it looks as if they're going to be going to the free transfer market and Aguero would obviously fit that bill. And I think it'd be interesting with him and Messi uh, playing together. But the other player that's been, say, linked with a return, I I wouldn't say Chelsea fans are going to pine for him and sort of, you know, plead for the club to resign him. 
Um, this is actually quite fresh, uh, Steve. This is one that's c- come in within the last hour since we've uh, started recording. Um, there's speculation that William, uh, the guy that left us for Arsenal last season, uh, wants to come back to the club. He wants to leave Arsenal. And apparently his preference would be a return to Chelsea. Now, as this is fresh and as you know, we are recording while this is happening, I'll get your thoughts on this, Steve, before I'll give mine. Step backwards, Keith. We've got to go yeah. forward. Absolutely. We've got to go forward. We're at a stage now where he, he, he's another one that, that, that has let him... I never thought Arsenal fans would hate someone that I thought was absolutely brilliant for Chelsea. I thought I loved that boy. I thought he was absolutely brilliant the way he played for Chelsea. Um, and I never thought a group of fans could dislike. Um, I, I think sometimes people underestimate play, what playing for Chelsea is, and they think the grass is always greener on the other side. They're a little bit like Hazard, uh, uh, you know, wanting to go to Real Madrid. But I'm sure five hundred thousand pounds a week might change anyone's views. But what I'm saying is a lot of people leave Chelsea and don't do it after they leave Chelsea. A lot of a lot of established players don't do it. Um, and I think they don't realise how much the club means to them. Um, and I wouldn't touch... Those days are gone. Those days are gone. You know, um, they're over. And I would see Hazard, William as a step back. A, a, a real what's the word I'm looking for um, just a nothing deal and I would I wouldn't entertain it I wouldn't entertain it at all any of those yeah I yeah. completely agree as well I mean Chelsea did not want to give him the contract that William wanted and he left I was actually one of the minority that was glad that he left because I remember yeah. when this podcast first came about, my, yeah, myself and my former co-host, we was talking to people that were stunned that Lampard got rid of him because he felt yeah. that Willian had a great season. Willian didn't have a great season in his last season under Frank. In fact, I thought he, you know, it was a time for him to step up with the young players and become that leader in the dressing room. And I thought Willian was poor. He, he he did not produce. So for him to go to Arsenal, that didn't concern me because I felt no. that the best days of his career were behind him. And this season has undoubtedly proved that. His only goal was against West Brom. And that yeah. was th- this month. So, yeah. you know, when it comes to... Decisions like that that Lampard obviously took or the club t- took with William, it was the right one. And th- some players do have sell-by dates. Yeah. Uh, Keith, the one thing about Chelsea Football Club, if you look at their books and you look at the, the, the sales of players and what they pay out for players and what they sell players for, they've probably got the best set of books in the whole of the Premier League. They know when it's right to sell a player. They know that when they sell a player, it's where he's going to... Look at Hazard, seriously. What would... Do you think 
what must Real Madrid be thinking? They they have they've signed um, a player for a hundred and thirty million pounds. I dread to think the package he got uh, and what he's taken out of Real Madrid. I dread to think it's cost them. That's probably why they're bust. They've gone bust. He's cost them absolutely. And I'm so pleased because as far as I'm concerned, him and the goalkeeper can go and do one because I didn't like him either. Um, uh, uh, What was his name? Culture, the goalkeeper for Real Madrid. Oh, Courtois. Yeah, I didn't like him either. Um, okay, interesting. Interesting. So, so, so they deserve each other. They deserve each other. <laughs> and uh, and as I said, the one thing about football is when you sign a player that fully appreciates the stage you've given them, the stage you've given them, the platform you've given them to play their football, to appreciate it, not take it for granted. And I think signings like that will take it for granted and bringing people back that they take it for granted and we've got hungry enthusiastic younger players in our squad Steve Wicks news at 10 (laughs) you have heard it first on the Blue Day podcast we will watch with interest we will keep you updated on the incomings and outgoings throughout the summer Um, in regards to the Blue Day podcast itself there is no rest period for the podcast we will be providing audio content to you lucky listeners over the summer, especially during the European Championships and during the transfer window. We will uh, be giving some updates uh, in in the next few weeks. We will be having some, some very fantastic guests on the show. We are looking to do something quite special in the month of July. Of course, I want to thank every single person who has listened to the interviews that I've done with the members of the 1971 Cup Winners' Cup team that Chelsea beat Real Madrid 50 years ago this month. I want to thank every single person for your nice comments, every single person who has listened to the interviews, whether it was a minute, five, or the the entire things. It was an absolute privilege and an honour to interview these individuals, the likes of Alan Hudson, John Dempsey, Derek Smedhurst, even you know Ron Harris going all the way back from last last year. It was it's been an absolute pleasure listening to their stories of Chelsea all them years ago. But I can announce today that we have another interview from uh, one of the members of that team and. That will be coming out on Bank Holiday Monday. It's a Bank Holiday special for the Blue Day podcast. And it is with John Boyle. Where John Boyle will be joining the Blue Day podcast, reflecting back on his career with Chelsea. And it is a fascinating career as, as that as well. He's played with Terry Venables, George Graham, Peter Osgood. 266 appearances he made for Chelsea. He's one of the unsung heroes at Stamford Bridge, he, his name is not banded about when it comes to the team of the seventies, and and it should be because he is, he, you know, he was part of the nineteen sixty five League Cup team 
when Chelsea beat Leicester City, all you know, so many years ago, he was part of that side. So if you enjoy your Chelsea history, if you love listening to these stories, I urge you to listen to John Boyle's interview coming up on Bank Holiday Monday. It will be out Monday morning. And it is it is a great interview. There'll be more interviews as well in the month of June that will be announced very, very soon as well on our Instagram, on our Twitter pages, on our Facebook, the Blue Day podcast on the transfer activities that Chelsea will be doing incomings and outgoings. It's going to be a busy one uh, this summer. I'm going to obviously enjoy it. And Steve, of course, this is going to be a big summer for the podcast and for actually for Chelsea. So just just finally, what what are your predictions for this summer for, with for Chelsea Football Club? I think we're going to take a big step forward. We, The one thing we can't do is a Tottenham and, a, and an Arsenal and get left behind. And I would imagine the powers that be will need that we need to do a fair bit of, of business in the transfer window to get us back up there on a, a regular, consistent... Uh, we've got to get up there with Man City and Man United because we've lost a bit of ground. And we need to make a few good signings to um, to mould this team together and make it a one to fear. Because the one thing we can't do, because I'll tell you what, it's going to be harder to get into the Champions League next year than it was this year. And it was hard enough this year, as we all experienced at the weekend. I never thought I'd ever say thank you to Tottenham, but thanks, Tottenham. Um, so I think it's a really important window for us. Absolutely. And before I do eventually go in what has been probably arguably the longest episode we've had on the Blue Day podcast so far this season, I also would like to thank Steve Wicks as well. I'd like to thank you, Steve, for being a fantastic co-host and obviously talking Chelsea, all things Chelsea with you. Again, you know, your heart is Chelsea. You bleed Chelsea. It's great to you know listen to your stories of Chelsea from the 70s and 80s and you know, talking about current events. So I'd like to thank you as well for being part of this podcast and hopefully throughout the summer and even towards next season, whether we win or lose on Saturday. But next season, hopefully we'll be watching Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, of course, Yeah, yeah. as well. That, yeah, that'll, that'll be something very special. I'll tell you what, Chelsea have a habit of putting things out of the bag when they're the underdogs and... Uh... You know, it happened in 1970 with Leeds when everyone said that Leeds were going to hammer us and they didn't. Um, so who knows on Saturday? Let's keep our fingers crossed and let's hope that, uh, that Saturday is a blue day. Saturday. A royal blue day. Yes, Saturday <laughs> hopefully will be a royal blue day and we're going to enjoy it no matter what here at the Blue Day podcast. Thank you very much for everyone who has listened to us have a bit of a rant. We've appreciated your company. I'd like to thank as well Steve Wicks again for his time. I have been Keith Lawrence. He's been Steve Wicks. Enjoy the rest of your day. Stay safe and carefree.
This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network.